Welcome back to Niners Sports Talk. Sorry it's been a little bit since we had a last episode. I was battling some flu, but we're back. A lot of news coming out from Charlotte Athletics these past few weeks. A lot to talk about. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. Starting with men's basketball. Former interim head coach Aaron Fern was officially announced to be the full-time head coach, no longer carrying that interim tag on his name. So really proud of what he's done with the program this year to earn that contract. He signed a contract to keep him here through 2029. Average salary of about $750,000, so really good contract for him to stick around here. Some thoughts here from Athletic Director Mike Hill and Coach Aaron Fern and the press conference they had after announcing the contract. So here's some words from them. Thank you. Thank you all for being here today. This is a, a really happy day and a happy moment for uh, our program. Um, you know, what we've seen uh, over the course of this past season has been really remarkable. I think the job that Coach Fern and his staff have done to, uh, to pull a team together that uh, was reeling last summer after a really difficult uh, time and a, and, a, and a coaching departure and have galvanized a team into you know a really tough team, a tough out in this league, and a team that competes day in and day out and clearly enjoys playing with each other. And so um, what it's also done is, is it, it's galvanized our fan base. Our fan base is excited at what they see, and they should be. It's been a lot of fun to come to Halton Arena to watch us play. Uh, it's been fun to watch us uh, on TV when we're on the road. And here we are, a game out of first place in a very tough league, the American, our first season in a great conference. And uh, it just added up to uh, this This made complete and total sense. Sometimes you make sure you, you don't outsmart yourself, right, and that this was the decision that, that felt right and is right. And so uh, we're thrilled to have uh, Aaron uh, lead our program moving forward uh, on a permanent basis and uh, just thrilled for him and for our team uh, and for our fans. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, I really want to thank a lot of people to start with, you know, Chancellor Gaber and, and obviously Mike and his team and um, my family and my family back in, in New Zealand and Australia and um, just a lot of people that have helped along the way. You know, I've, I've been able to coach with some uh, fantastic coaches over my career that I've obviously learned a lot from and, um, and uh, you know, Coach Sanchez gave me an opportunity to come here, you know, five, six years ago, and and um, obviously very thankful to him too. And and um, you know, there's a lot of people that go into a journey, and um, I'm very grateful for them. And and um, but obviously, what about eight months ago? Obviously, in the summer, it was a very difficult time. Um, but as I said to the guys in the locker room uh, yesterday. Uh, forever grateful to them. Um, they are the they are the ones that uh, dug their heels in that first day, and and uh, you know definitely made it pretty clear that they wanted us to help lead them this year, and and uh, you know for to have that support at that point was um, that's what it was. That's the, that's the real thing, and. Um, I'm really proud of what they've been able to do this season. Um, like Mike said, I'm more than anything. I mean, I'm happy that you know, and we are that we've been able to get some wins and where where we're at. But really, the biggest joy that I've got out of it so far is just the energy that's in the building right now, and then the support from the students and the community, and and uh, you know, a lot of those fans that have been part of this program for a long time, and uh, just 
I guess they're reminiscing on the past, you know, and bringing some and some old memories back, and but also creating some new memories for you know the the the, the new supporter base here and and, and the students. So um, that's what it's about. It's it's about an experience. It's about an experience for the players and and the supporter base and the coaches and and everybody involved. And and uh, very proud of that. Aaron, Nick Carboni from WCNC, congratulations. Uh, I guess what does a, a contract extension for five years do for you in the program, just having you know recruits know that you're going to be here for the foreseeable future? Yeah, well, it brings some, some stability for sure. Um, you know, it will help us obviously recruit and, um, and retain and... Um, and uh, you know we've obviously the, the landscape around college basketball or college athletics has really changed a lot in the last few years. So you know having people out there in the community know what's going to be ahead for the next five years, and um, you know trying to build a, a you know a support system to build our program is going to be really important. Um, you know over time here we've been able to bring in some pretty talented, pretty good, pretty good players, and and. Uh, some of them have unfortunately moved on to go do some things, and and um, but we've also been able to bring in some really talented guys, and um, yeah, just finding ways to build and and know what the future ahead is. Once again, that was athletic director Mike Hill and Coach Aaron Fern talking about what the contract means for the program as a whole. From that, so some other big news: the program's guard Lukai Patterson scored his 1,000th career point. It's a big testament from what all the work he's put in during his collegiate career, both with the 49ers and with Missouri State. So congratulations to Patterson on that big milestone. Team currently sits in second place, three games behind South Florida at 11-4. and four. Doesn't look very likely they're going to catch the Bulls after these back-to-back road losses for the conference. But second place is still in play. A lot left to fight for. Getting that first two-round buy is going to be critical for the team moving forward as conference tournament is right around the corner. They had a narrow loss to USF earlier in the season. Now that team is coming to Halton Arena tomorrow. They are nationally ranked 25th. They've won 13 games in a row. It's going to be a massive game for Niner Nation and the 49ers basketball team as a whole tomorrow. So they're looking to get everyone out there that they can. But after their loss to USF a few weeks ago, they were rolling with three straight wins over Temple, UTSA, and Wichita State. They've had a little bump in the road. This last road trip, they traveled over to Memphis where they lost by 24 points. That's kind of an enigma for this season. Most of their losses have been within six points. Then they lost to a Tulsa team by two points. Lost to Tulsa kind of hurt because the key player in that game was Jared Garcia, a former 49er. He shot 10 for 11 with a revenge game of a lifetime leading the game with 24 points as he propelled the Golden Hurricanes to a two-point victory. And then looking at women's basketball, they're currently tied for fourth place with UAB and Rice. They are two games out of first place with two games left to play. Going to be a tough road ahead for them trying to take that first place spot, but they're sitting in a very comfortable spot with the season wrapping up very soon. Um, The team is rolling after a late overtime win against North Texas where Olivia Porter hit a corner three to win the game with two seconds on the clock, followed by a 
dominating win on senior day against Wichita State, where senior J.C. Busick scored 17 points with 10 rebounds, recording a double-double on her senior day. That's something Coach Carrick and Swaga has been talking about all season. She wants Busick shooting the ball more. We saw that. We saw the success that comes with that that night. So that's something we need to look for that happen more as the season wraps up. Here's some audio from Coach Carrick and Swaga after their massive senior day win against Wichita State. Yeah, I'm just really excited for our seniors. Uh, it's great to have, you know, such a such a great game on their day, um, and to have a game where you know they stepped up. Those that were dressed were able to step up and contribute. And um, honestly, that started with JC just coming out uh, from the start. You know, I could just tell that she was ready and she was ex excited. Um, and wanted to make an impact on her senior day, took really good shots, you know, did all the things that JC does. Uh, super proud of Anna. Uh, you know, we needed some extra minutes from her today, and she was ready, and that's what I think always impresses me about her. You know, she comes every day, she works hard, she has a positive attitude, she's a great teammate, and whatever we ask her to do, she does. And today, we needed her, we needed her bad, and she stepped in, gave us some really great minutes, and I'm proud of her for that. Uh, Tamia Davis, great to see her back in there, kind of getting her shot back under her. Uh, we need her to be able to knock down some shots for us. So it's great to get her some minutes where she can get that confidence back. Um, and just excited for the team. You know, this was just a tremendous team win after a very hard week. You know, being on the road for five days, playing our third game in a week, you know, having some adversity on our team. It was just really impressive to see the way that our team has come together and stuck together through everything. Once again, that was head coach Carrick and Swaga talking about senior day and how big that win was for the program. And then the 49ers closed out their season this week, traveling to Florida Atlantic on Sunday. They're going to take on the Owls at 2 p.m. Then they return home to Halton Arena to cap off their season against in-state rival the East Carolina Pirates on Tuesday, March 5th, with tip-off set for 6.30. Very exciting for that team as they look to get one of those top spots in conference standings as their basketball conference tournament starts at the end of next week. I know it's spring break, but still a lot to look forward to. There a lot to watch there. But as basketball season reaches its dawn, that means the spring sports are really heating up, starting up. Baseball season is well underway. 49ers are opening up their season. They got a tough schedule. They're sitting at 5-4. and four. They dropped their first two games of the season to the Virginia Tech Hokies, but really rallied back. The Bats woke up to win 10-5 to on that Sunday to get their first win of the season. And then Tony Rossi, relief pitcher for them, he's been a real heartfelt story this season. He was battling back from Tommy John's surgery. He pitched the first time since May 2022, getting that first win for the team. Throwing 2.2 hitless and scoreless innings for them. So really happy to see him back out there. He's a very critical arm for this team's success out of the bullpen. And that momentum from that win carried over to their midweek matchup. They played the Davidson Wildcats, the first time those teams have played on the diamond in 20 years. That crosstown rivalry seemed like Charlotte was really ready for as they scored 21 runs in the first three innings, ultimately winning that game 24-1. to through eight innings. But then Charlotte hosted a very tough opponent with the West Virginia Mountaineers, who bolstered the number one ranked player for the MLB draft this year. But after dropping the first two games of that series against them, they rallied back 
in the eighth inning of Sunday's game, scoring five runs in that inning to win six to five, tying up the series there with a 500 record so far in the season. And then on Tuesday after that, the eighth inning heroics seemed to continue for the Niners as Noah Furch sent a ball out amongst the trees over the wall to hit a three-run homer to give Charlotte a 3-2 lead heading into the ninth. And Tony Rossi came in and closed out the game, giving them a win. There's getting them to sit five and four. We got some post-game thoughts from Coach Woodard right after this, so let's hear what he had to say about the big clutch time win. Coach, they did it again. Another eighth inning comeback win. These guys just don't give up. No, I mean, we, we talk all fall, preseason, and all of our training that, you know, one of the best things about the game of baseball is there's no clock. There's pitch clocks, but there's, there's no game clock. And we will play until they tell us to stop. That's, that's Charlotte baseball. It's been that way since our coaches have been here. And these players have just embodied that nine games in. And I'm, I'm really proud of them because, you know, they're the ones doing it. Um, that's, a, that, that, that's a really good Wofford team. I mean, it was pitch after pitch made by their arms and play after play made by their defense and then just really, like, gutsy at bats by them all night. And then, you know, it just, uh, you know, it just, came, it just came down to one swing of the bat, really. I mean, it was, the margin for error was so, so small there. But that's a really good team. They're going to win a lot of games. And um, that's, a great t that's a great win for us tonight because, um, you know, again, another game, backs against the wall. Um, and our guys just kept playing, kept fighting. Thad actually leading us off there. And then, um, you know, Brandon Stallman working a 3-2 count with multiple foul balls and taking a really, really good pitch by their pitcher, um, borderline pitch. And, and I thought Macon made a great call behind there. Um, you know, for ball four, it was just it was razor thin, and then and then Noah Verge came up. You could tell, you know, Coach Bick and I were talking as Noah was walking up to the plate about you know just any type of action or anything that we could do, and we kind of both agreed that we felt like Noah was was pretty frustrated with how his at bats had gone earlier in the game. We were like, he's gonna he's gonna take it he's he's gonna take it out on this at bat. He's gonna take the frustration from previous bat, and he did, and he put a great swing on a really good pitch, and um, you know just. It was really, really fun night of the Hayes, and I'm proud of the guys. Talk about having Tony Rossi back, a reliable guy on the back end of that bullpen who can come in, and you pretty much know that he's going to shut the door and get that win for you. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's, you look around the country at probably the best closers. I think his name's got to be in the discussion. We're nine games in, but we really missed him last year. Um, he could be in professional baseball right now. Um, so just, very thankful that he's on our team and that um, he's embodied the you know that role of, of being our our high leverage guy and I hope our, our hope our fans and and everyone here will just really appreciate you know guys like him and, and the other guys that we have on our team and come out and and pull for him because you know 
him, AJ Wilson, Jorge, Deggs, um, Trey, Trey Baker, you know, all those guys that threw tonight, really, you know, they just work so hard, man. They work so hard. And um, we had a great student section out tonight for a, a windy Tuesday that was, you know, not the best weather. And, but trust me, it matters. It matters. Our, our fans are, are awesome. And we've seen every single year we've been here, the fan support continue to grow and be louder. And, um, you know, we just, we really appreciate the support. Coach, you guys early on grounding out, flying out, but seeing the ball well, it seemed like you were getting the contact. What was the difference in the eighth to finally break through and kind of string some things together? I wish I could tell you, you know, we would start doing it earlier in future games, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just hitting, hitting's really tough. I mean, it's the toughest thing to do in yeah, sports. That was Coach Woodard uh, we talking about the big win against Wofford. Team, this team now is heading to Norfolk, Virginia to play their to win, only non-conference road trip of the season. Not traveling up there um, to take on the Old Dominion Monarchs for a three-game series. Begins this and, afternoon with first pitch uh, scheduled for 2 p.m. Um, and then you know, the other said, team that plays on the diamond, Charlotte Softball. They like start off their season. Every arm they threw out there they opened up their season with their biggest win in program really history, beating number four-ranked Florida State 6-5 to in extra innings. Really monumental win for the program as it really grows and develops. Overall, the team, the team is sitting at eight and six you know, right now. They play well. some really and tough competition really so far this season. Get some big wins, some tough losses. The team hosted number nine ranked Clemson the other week. They tried their best to mount a big comeback in the final innings, putting up three runs, but ultimately lost eight to five. But on Saturday, February seventeenth, Lena Elkins really showed just pure dominance on the mound. She pitched a no-hitter against Canisius, striking out eight batters in her seven innings of work. She only walked two batters, so really strong performance from her. She carried the torch to that 7 nothing victory. She's becoming a real catalyst for this team on the mound. And then last weekend, the team traveled down to South Carolina to play in the Gamecock Invitational. They bested James Madison twice that weekend and beat South Alabama once. And they ultimately lost to the host, South Carolina, who's ranked number 18 in the nation. So that was a tough matchup. Could have been a real resume builder for the late later stages of the season, but as a game, it's really tough to win, so can't fault them for dropping that one. Then this weekend, team will host Kentucky, UNCW, and Minnesota for the Queen City Classic. Their first game is slated for 6 p.m. tonight against the Wildcats. Some other big Charlotte news was Charlotte's track and field teams participated in the American Athletic Conference Indoor Track Championships. The women's team took home the championship with a score of 107 points, while Charlotte's men's team came in second place to South Florida with 105.5 points. Really good season from those two programs. Excited for what's ahead with outdoor track and field coming up soon. And then for Charlotte football news, practice starts on March 19th. They're going to be opening that up to the public to come see what the team's got. A lot of new transfers coming in, so really exciting time for that team and program. Spring game has been announced for April 20th at 7 p.m. Jerry Richardson Stadium. It's another chance to see the team in action, how they mesh together in some game scenarios. Really exciting to see. I know last year's spring game was the first year of Coach Poggi. It's a very exciting time to be there. So it'll be really exciting to see what his team can do this year in that spring game. But some overall news in college football was 
EA's college football video game has officially been announced. It's going to feature all 134 FBS schools, which includes Charlotte. Last time this game came out was right before Charlotte's football program was even in, in existence. So this is the first time for some Charlotte football fans to actually be able to play with their school, with the team they, and program they support. They announced that all football players in FBS have the option to be opt-in and be featured in the game. They'll be compensated with $600 and a copy of the game. Some people are arguing that's not enough, but at the end of the day, isn't it everybody's dream to be featured in a sports video game? And you get a copy of the game, which you're probably going to buy anyways, and an extra $600 in your pocket. Now, some of those big-time players they did announce will have some separate NIL deals to promote the game, such I think this is a good first step in the right direction because that's 11,000 players in the nation. That's a lot of money, any way you look at it. So it's exciting for the fans, exciting for the players. It's really exciting for everyone It's a college football fan. Even if you're not a college football fan, this could be a way you get introduced to that. In a way, some schools might get some more notoriety because a lot of people play that game. They don't want to start with the top Ohio State-type programs. Look at a school who's building up a program like Charlotte. We might grow fans just from this game alone. So that's exciting for them. And then other Charlotte football news is defensive edge player Iabi Oki Ananoma was invited to the NFL Combine. He worked out in front of some NFL scouts last night. So really exciting for him as he looks to be another 49er drafted in the NFL draft coming up this summer. And then in Charlotte women's soccer news, they announced their spring schedule they're going to go on the road and take on Wake Forest on March 2nd. They're going to go to Furman on March 16th, and then East Tennessee State on March 24th. Then they're going to return home, facing Queens on April 13th, and then on April 20th, and kind of strange news, they're going to play two games that day against the Davidson Wildcats and the Wofford Terriers. April 20th is shaping up to be a really exciting day for Charlotte Athletics. You've got two women's soccer games for the spring schedule. You've got the football spring game, and I think baseball and softball might be home that day too. So you could really just ruin your whole day and just go to all sorts of Charlotte athletics if you want to. I know I'll be at the spring game for sure. I don't know about these other things, but it's a really exciting day for Charlotte and the Niner Nation as a whole. So spring schedule is a really good time for Charlotte women's soccer to really build up the team. they got some new players coming in because I think they had – like 13 seniors last year. So a lot of players to replace, see how they mesh together. Spring schedule doesn't count towards your overall record, but it's a really good chance to see what the team can do. That's all we got from Charlotte Athletics side. Coming up is going to be me and Blake Rose joining me to talk about professional sports and everything going on in that realm. So I look forward to talking about that here soon. Now joining the podcast is Niner Times sports writer, Blake Rose. Blake, for, thanks for coming on again today. Um, you're going to talk about some pro sports stuff. Before we get into that, there's a aspect of Charlotte men's basketball I want to talk about a little bit. You know, when I interviewed Coach Fern earlier in the season, a big reason why we believe the team's been so successful is rallying behind each other, behind him, and behind the rest of the staff. Well, now that Coach Fern's been given the actual job, no longer has the interim tag on his title, are we seeing them, not purposefully, but like subconsciously maybe 
not playing up to par as they were earlier in the season because they're not having to play for his job anymore. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good uh, point that you make. Is that so? Fern was hired February twelfth, right after the seventy three seventy win against Temple on the road. Um, and so his first game as head coach was against UTSA at home on February 15th. Um, and that game was 79-70 and ended in a win. And then later that week, they ended up winning 72-61 um, against Wichita State. So his first two games were pretty strong. And then it went downhill from there, looking at a, a pretty tough 24-point loss against Memphis. But again, on the road. Um, and then this, this past week um, against Tulsa, um, losing by by uh, two points, and both of those two losses were tough. Uh, Memphis is a is a tough team to to beat, regardless of who your coach is. But uh, the Tulsa win is or the Tulsa loss, I'm sorry, is um, a little inexcusable. And when you look at the the chronolog the chronology of these events, in that when he got hired, that the team before he got hired when they were playing for him to get the job they went on the seven game win streak and they mm-hmm. were they weren't losing two in a row and they were consistently winning games night in and night out um and if you look purely just at the the kind of timeline that it it kind of paints a picture of the the boys have either gotten too settled too comfortable uh or just too in their own heads about okay so they were playing for everyone and and like you said when you talked to Fern that they were playing for him and that they were playing not just for themselves and just for the win and you can kind of see that that might not be the primary focus uh, with the team right now but uh, still have faith going through the rest of the season I'm sure that they have the ability to turn it around but I think that's a really good observation made that it, it seems that after he got that job that they've kind of waned in their production a little. With senior day being tomorrow against South Florida what do you personally hope to see from them as they try and battle out of this rut they're in? Right. So I think the I think the biggest thing really is I mean I know Fern talks about it a lot is that um, you got to be tougher, you got to be you got to work harder, you got to be more resilient, you got to be more physical. I had the opportunity to talk to Deshaun Jackson and, about his physicality, and that's what he emphasized as well is being tougher than that next guy. That he doesn't matter what your name is or where you're from. That being tougher than than him is is incredibly important to his game and so I think that that's going to be a testament um and we'll we'll see um it being senior day uh could potentially get into some guys heads um it'll be interesting to see what some of our seniors can come up with I know Jackson Threadgill um is a senior we'll see how he performs um he's been performing uh, better lately and so um we'll see how how he turns out uh this game is at home you know as opposed to when we unfortunately lost on the road earlier in the season so uh, this will be a big game to to determine how, how the rest of our season goes. Yeah, it's going to be a massive game tomorrow at 4 p.m. at Halton Arena against number 25, South Florida. But now let's get into the pro sports. You know, I already mentioned to you guys I was out with the flu for a little bit, so we're a little old news here, but we got the Super Bowl. Kansas City Chiefs won. They're going to be looking to set history, winning three Super Bowls in a row. Blake, what do you want to see from them if, as they try and reach this big accomplishment? Yeah, so I mean, regardless of your stance on the on the Chiefs, three Super Bowls in a row has never been done before, and and whereas two Super Bowls have been done multiple by multiple teams, and it's still a, a incredible achievement, but um, I think everybody on that KC team wants to get over the hump. I know um, one of the biggest things that I know he's a free agent, Chris Jones, uh, this season, but uh, um, in the uh, parade, the you know winning 
uh, parade in Kansas City. He said on a microphone that he wants to come back to KC, and, and we'll, we'll see as the offseason progresses. But I think he's going to be a big piece because the defense was questionable coming into the season when, when Jones sat out for as long mm-hmm. as he did. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just going to be making sure that the the – popularity and that the that the voices and I know there was a lot surrounding them this season and 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 Mahomes and Kelsey have have both you know touched on this in some of their media that they have tried to limit the amount that they listen to and that they know that they're the villains and Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing in in stepping up to this great achievement for them or this potential great achievement for them is that making sure that they know their place and that they they just stay focused and locked in on the game. Another key free agent for them on the defensive side is Legereus Sneed. But chips are falling their way. The NFL had the largest increase they've seen in cap space in a long time with a $30.6 million increase from last season. What do you hope to see from teams with that extra cash flow this season? Yeah, so I'd love to see small market teams trying to get in there and, and grab some weapons. I know that Mike Evans is is on the um you know, on the on the target list for a lot of of different teams, and I would love to see some some small market market teams, especially like Carolina. Um, I know that that has been swirling around in the NFL scene right now. Is that um, is that Mike Evans is potentially going to want to go reunite uh, with the offensive coordinator in in Carolina um, with his old offensive coordinator? Um, but I I think just seeing not not only just in Carolina but other small market teams potentially be make a couple of uncharacteristic uh, moves and. Um, you know, branch out and kind of be able to to grab a couple more weapons and, and compete a little bit more because no one likes seeing the same teams win every season. Um, and so I, th- I think generally it's it's good for some small market teams to get out there and, and uh, start grabbing some guys. I think it's not only going to help them, but these teams that are trying to get over the hump that have been contenders for a few years, you know, I'm biased. I'm always talking about the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to do it again today because it's my podcast. I can. You know, the Mike Evans you talked about, that's a potential target for them now, trying to replace Gabe Davis. Doesn't look like Gabe Davis is going to be coming back, which personally I think they need to find another weapon that isn't Gabe Davis. So they got a little more money to play with there because cap issues have been a problem for them. But as we shift gears from the NFL, looking at the Charlotte Hornets, last time you were on, Blake, last time we actually had an episode, was right after the trade deadline. A lot of big moves happened. Hornets were sellers at the deadline. It's one of the few times I've seen in history where a team that's a major seller at the deadline actually seems to be playing better basketball after they made all their trades. What have you seen from that? What have the newcomers done that you've that's impressed you that you've really liked? And I know you also have that article about the trade deadline grading that. So make sure to read that on Niner Times. He gives a little snippet of what it's all about. Yeah, so I touched a little bit about it in in that article, and and this the article I wrote and came out before we um, added even more pieces um, in free agency. But I think I'm going to start off um, answering that question with that how how this front office is trying to go and how the direction that this front office is going in. Uh, this is something that we haven't seen from the Hornets in in a very long time, if ever. Really, this volume is very um, out of the ordinary for their for the Hornets organization. So uh, diving in, I mean. We've won five games since the trade deadline. We were 10 and uh, 40, somewhere around there, uh, and now we are uh, 15 and 43. So uh, the Hornets have really 
turned the the wheel here. I mean, the ship was kind of steering towards disaster, and, and uh, by no means are we are, are the the Hornets projected to make the play-in or anything. But it's refreshing to see this team not lose ten games in a row because mm-hmm. going into the trade deadline, they were on a ten-game loss streak. Um, and it, it was looking grim, and and it was looking dark for the organization in the in the future of the organization. Um, so looking at some of these these first moves, the very first move was moving on from Terry Rozier. Uh, this was one of the only trades that, if you looked around Twitter and you looked around Instagram, you looked around the media, that this was kind of the ones that shocked a lot of Hornets fans. That they were like, "We're not sure this is exactly the best move." Mm-hmm. The rest of the trades seemed to get very good you know, very good publicity and, and most fans were pretty happy. Um, and so this Terry Rozier trade in, in involved Kyle Lowry and, 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 uh, uh, 2027 first round, they moved on from Kyle Lowry. Uh, and now Terry Rozier is playing on the Miami heat, but we still have that, uh, 2027 first rounder. Uh, and then at the trade deadline, these, um, they made two pretty massive trades mm-hmm. um, in sending Gordon Hayward to OKC first, um, and that was for um, Trey Mann, Davis Bertans, 2024 second round, and a 2025 um, second round pick as well. Uh, and then after that initially um, came out, uh, after we – after – we had covered it originally mm-hmm. on that um, on our last episode. Um, Vasil Micic was added onto that kind of block that mm-hmm. he was added onto that trade after, uh, and so that that's interesting to to kind of see that uh, happen uh, with that particular trade. Uh, and so, lastly, this uh, last kind of trade that went through during, at at the trade deadline, they get like the day of the trade line trade deadline was letting P.J. Washington walk to, or, um, go to the Dallas Mavericks um, in return for power forward Grant Williams and Seth Curry, and then another 2027 uh, first-round pick. And so diving a little bit more into, you know, after we've kind of explained the, the mm-hmm. pieces in here, um, so uh, moving the, – the point guard position was obviously a highlight for this trade – Deadline. We got mm-hmm. Trey Mann, we got Seth Curry, um, and we got Mitchich, which they're all point guards or guards at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in th- looking at the roster without Lamelo Ball, it's pretty obvious the direction that the front office was going is that we need a little bit more depth and a little bit more power at that position. Uh, because of Lamelo Ball being injured and how long he's been being injured, and and that he's probably likely not going to join the team for the rest of the season or will, but for a couple of games, they don't want to risk re-injuring him in the last couple of games of a, you know, kind of throwaway season. So bolstering the power forward uh, position as well after losing um, P.J. Washington, bringing in Grant Williams, bringing in uh, Davis Bertans, uh, uh, providing a little bit more shooting in the likes of Seth Curry and Bertans, and even Trey Mann has been able to knock down a couple um, one of the players that I'm really liking right now um, from a production standpoint is Grant Williams. I think he's got a lot of grit. I think he's got a lot of determination, regardless of how heated he may get on the court. Um, I know there were some concerns um, in a prior game of, of him getting a little uh, getting into it with a couple of the players and, and kind of painting himself to be like a Draymond Green, like a, a quote-unquote 
bad guy. Um, but as long as his production stays solid, uh, I, I don't think there's any real concern there. But he's been playing um, good so far. Like, as good as somebody who is coming into a new organization in the middle of their season has been playing. We also see some of these contracts kind of go away. Is that P.J. Washington's $48 million contract, you know, gets traded. Uh, I know that Gordon Hayward had a a rather large contract that was going to end this season, but regardless, moving on from that, Terry Rozier had a $30 million some contract. And so moving on from some of these large contracts of players who maybe are older or not producing so well is is also a, a, a plus there. And then one last thing is going on to our recent free agent signing, Alexei Polkoszewski, also from the OKC Thunder. Seems like we're sourcing our players <laughs> from over there in Oklahoma. But um, regardless... I think that that's a good addition as well. Pokoszewski's a large wing type of player. Uh, we'll we'll see how his three point shooting, you know, either develops or can possibly provide some some, some shooting to this otherwise, uh, you know, lackluster three point shooting team before the trade deadline. So uh, that's pretty much the entire uh, encompass of the Hornets trade deadline so far. Yeah, coming out of the trade deadline, the team's been playing really great defense. Something. We haven't really seen much with this squad, and a lot of people have been calling for Steve Clifford's head as the job as the head coach. But is this proving that he wasn't really the problem? Was it the personnel he had? Because now he's got players that buy into actually putting effort on defense, and they're making looks like they're making big strides in the right direction as the season progresses. You'd like to see some of their players like Mark Williams and Lamelo Ball, these step on the court, see how they mesh with the new guys. So this roster can develop, but do you think this is a testament to what Clifford can do? Yeah, I I, I like what you said about the defense and that the defense has been very good um, coming out of the trade deadline, and that's kind of something that Steve Clifford, you know, emphasizes is that he's a very defensive minded coach. He's not out there. He's under James Borrego that we had um, before Clifford. He was very high flying. We had the whole Sky Miles thing going on, mm-hmm. and that and when they made that play in tournament, that Hornets team was very, very high-octane, high-speed, very high-flying offense. And you just don't see that with Steve Clifford. And that's not inherently a bad thing. He's a very older-minded coach, and he's a very defensive-minded coach. And I think that that fits with the guys that they – it did not fit with the guys before Mm -hmm. the trade deadline. It now fits with some of the guys that they've brought in. Grant Williams. They've brought in Davis Bertans. They've brought in Pokoszewski. Those are all big – Kind of slower guys. Grant Williams is a great defender. I think that those guys in particular fit with Steve Clifford's schemes better or what he wants to see from the offense. And so, or I'm sorry, from the defense um, as well as the offense. But overall, I, I don't think it was inherently Clifford's fault. Uh, but I, I, I'm interested to see where they go in this new front office because this new front office was not the one to hire Clifford. Uh, and so I'll be interested to see what happens when his when his contract is over. But I don't think that his head needs to be taken off this early. I think we give him another season and see, okay, what can he do with a healthy LaMelo? What can he do with a healthy Mark Williams? And then what he, he can do with the rest of the team going forward. Um, shifting gears, but staying in the Queen City, Charlotte FC had their season debut this past Sunday. Coach Dean Smith made his head coaching debut with the squad they beat New York City FC one nothing. What do you see from the team in that game, and what do you have to see as the season progresses? Adelson Melanda 
scored his very first MLS goal in this game, um, and that was the only goal of the game. Uh, it happened in the eighth minute, so a pretty low-scoring affair, but also a pretty early-scoring affair is mm-hmm. that it, there wasn't really much going on. Uh, this game wasn't home in the Fortress, uh, so season opener, the Upper Bowl was was opened up, and, and all these fans come for a goal in the eighth minute, and then crickets for the rest of the game. Um, looking at the team shots, I mean, uh, I mean, Charlotte only shot twelve or um, only shot eleven, and um, New York shot twelve. Uh, but of course, Charlotte connected on one, whereas New York did not. Um, but specifically diving into shots on target is that Charlotte FC had five of their shots on target. That's pretty efficient, meaning that their shots, when they did take them, were a little under, you know, half accuracy in that. You know, half of them were accurate shots and half of them weren't, a little under that. Uh, whereas um, New York only had two shots on target. And so when you're shooting that effectively and, and having um, that much uh, ability to to put the ball at least close to the net, uh, you open yourself up a, a, for many more goals than you otherwise would be by just, you know, launching the ball in the g- general direction of, of the net. Uh, possession... New York had 63% possession as opposed to 37 on Charlotte, um, meaning Charlotte really did not have much time to score, but um, of course did and, and, and ended up kind of snaking in the, the season opener. Um, and then looking forward, um, just making sure that you know we keep possession up. I know that's been a, a struggle for them basically since they've been in the MLS is that they can't quite seem to keep possession over over competent teams or, or just possession really at all um, and then making sure that that scoring gets gets good making sure that guys like Capetti are open I know Svodersky is on loan that that's been a big talking point is that you lose Svodersky but possibly having a, um, a Enzo Capetti breakout season getting him the ball more and then making sure guys come off I know Ben Bender was hurt I know Brant Bronico was hurt um, before this game um, and and so just making sure that all your guys are 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 on the field is is biggest for them going forward. Well, it's got that first win out the way. That's always a tough one for people. And they're going to continue their season heading to Vancouver, take on Vancouver FC on Saturday, March 2nd at 7.30. It's interesting to see how the, this new squad meshes together as the season progresses. A lot of new faces, new coach. Exciting time, though. Always a great time to go to those games. That always gives the bring the energy for the crowd. And then shifting gears over to Rollywood, got the Carolina Hurricanes. They've currently won five of their last seven games. They've been Carolina Hurricanes have been playing excellent in January and February, and they're now seven points back in the Metropolitan Division behind the New York Rangers, and the Rangers have jumped into first place in the Eastern Conference overall. So Hurricanes are going down to the wire trying to take first place. Personally, I'm not sure you want first place because there seems to be a history in the NHL with those first place teams getting eliminated. But the team's been progressing really well. Do they need to target a goalie at the deadline? Do you think that's a glaring hole of the team right now? Or can they progress and make the run they want to with the roster they currently have? So I think the thing that has been keeping the Hurricanes afloat this season as well as past seasons is that their goal scoring is so high is that they score so many goals 
but also at the end of the day, they let in so many goals that it's it's shooting themselves in the foot. They they're shooting themselves in the foot. So I think you you really have to be in the organization and inside the organization to see where the chemistry is. Is that okay? Do uh, in a guy like Pyotr Kachetkov, are we do we have a lot of chemistry with him or Antti Ranta? Are we is he is he a good fit for the organization? Do we want to move him? Um, because if you don't want to mess up this chemistry when you're only you know when the season is you know, three-fourths over. You don't want to ruin whatever they've got going on here. So I think it really comes down to looking at the organization and looking at, okay, are they are extremely hot right now, which you want to be hot now. You do not want to be hot in, you know, November, December when the season's still pretty young. You want to be hot now so that going into the playoffs and going into the, the postseason, you can make a potential run. And that's what they are right now. They're hot. And so you have to look at that and say, okay, well, compared to in the beginning of the season and compared to now, are we letting in more goals or are we letting in less goals? And if you're letting in less goals and your scoring is still the same, then do you mess that up? I'm not sure. Um, but if, if you're looking at it and you say, okay, well, we're giving up more goals now than we, are, than we did in the beginning of the season, we're still scoring the same amount of goals you might want to look at a change at goalie, and I think I think that the goalie has seen a couple of, or that the goalie position has seen a couple of empty nets in the past couple of seasons, um, and and so I think it could be worth reaching out and, and grabbing a, a better goalie. I'm not sure there's there's many more that you would want to slot in uh, with the given choices, um, but really it comes down to looking at is Kachetkov or Antti Ranta are they are they ready to, you know be a brick wall and goal or should we move them from from a chemistry standpoint how well are they meshing with this with the offense on the other side of the ice i think another factor we got to consider is how is frederick anderson progressing if he can get back is he going to be the guy for the playoffs we'll see how that progresses trade deadline is coming up fast now there's one game i really want to highlight and put on people's calendars is march 12th they're going to be taking on new york at home that could have really big implications for the standings, but let's shift gears. It's my favorite time of year, favorite sport. I've been going to baseball games since I was two weeks old, so Major League Baseball, spring training is officially here. Talk about the Dodgers a little bit because that's what I do. It's my team. I'm biased. We've talked about this. Shohei Otani made his debut with the Dodgers, hitting a home run in his last at-bat, and I'll be honest with you, it was quite impressive because – he got jammed on the pitch, in my opinion. All of a sudden, the thing's flying over the wall. And then another debut for the Dodgers was Yoshinobu Yamamoto. He threw only 19 pitches in his two innings, and 17 of those were strikes. Quite an impressive debut for him. Against his first official Major League Baseball competition. And then, before I ask you what, who's you seen and stood out to you, want to highlight a former 49er baseball player who appeared for the Yankees in spring training, Josh Moskieski. He got to pitch an inning for them. He was battling some injuries last season. Glad to see him back and trying to make that run with the Yankees roster. But, Blake, has there been anyone that stood out to you, any debuts you've seen for spring training that you've liked? Yeah, so it's it's always worth um... – looking at some of what are the biggest young guys coming up and and regardless if those are you know sophomore players or if they're you know brand spanking new um and so whenever i think of 
whenever I think of new teams, uh, I always think of, um, or right now I'm thinking of the Orioles, and that mm-hmm. they've got quite the young core of Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Jackson Holiday is on is on the come up as well, um, and so I think those are just some to to look look for in spring training. I know that Rutschman has been dealing with some potential mm-hmm. injury, you know, issues. Um, and so I think he's, I think Rushman is worth looking at. I think that Gunnar Henderson is, is obviously one to look at as well. Uh, just, you know, going forward with the rest of spring training and the rest of this season. Yeah. They had a big up and coming matchup in spring training. First overall pick Paul Skeens faced off against Jackson holiday. That matchup is hopefully one we see a lot in the future. Skeens got the better of him in his first one with a 100-mile-per-hour pitch that was grounded out to first base. It's always exciting. Spring training is one of my favorite times of year because there's so many different nuances and storylines you see in a spring training, just in the dugout alone, because you got those veteran players. They're trying to get themselves back ready for another season. They know they have a roster spot, so they're kind of – a little bit going through the motions. If you ever have the chance to go to spring training, it's definitely worth it. They're always joking around, signing autographs. They they do their two innings and they leave. But also when you look at those younger guys or some, maybe some older guys who haven't had their chance yet in the big leagues, those fringe players trying to make a roster spot. It's always fun to see how those storylines progress through spring training as they're looking to finally – Get that call up to the big leagues. You always see a little extra effort from those guys in spring training, so it's always exciting to see. I know we just talked about Jackson Holiday. If he doesn't make the Baltimore Orioles major league roster on opening day, he is going to be in the Queen City the second week of minor league baseball season facing off against the Charlotte Knights, so that'll be exciting. Blake, is there any other major league baseball news you want to talk about? Um, other than that, I think we've covered it. And then if you look at minor league baseball season, their season is now officially less than a month away with season starting on March 29th. The Charlotte Knights will start on the road at Memphis for three, then return home to take on the Norfolk Tides. So a lot to be excited for here. Next week we'll talk about the Charlotte Knights promo schedule. They got some big name former players coming out. They got some celebrities coming out to the games. Those games are always a good time in the Queen City. But that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you for listening. Got a lot more Charlotte coverage to give you next week.